What's up, OBR Film Breakdown listeners? Before we get to today's show, just a reminder about the $100 in free bets over at the number one sportsbook, FanDuel Sportsbook. Use the promo code OBR today to claim that $100 in free bets. Again, that's promo code OBR at FanDuel, the official sportsbook partner of the NFL. You must be 21 or older, President Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio on 1-1-2023. Unique user identification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER. Now, the latest on the OBR Film Breakdown Podcast. What's up, everyone? Welcome into the latest OBR Film Breakdown presented by FanDuel. I'm your host, Jake Burns. It is your Tuesday, December 20th episode. This week, having a Saturday game means that we get an extra day of episodes built in to the week, which I love that because that means we can catch up with some guests that we've wanted to catch up with. If you have not listened to the episode that I did with Pete Smith, who I'm going to have on here in just a second, we went back before Deshaun Watson made his debut in Houston and talked about what we thought the tweaks to this offense could be, expectations, things of that sort. Uh, that's one we did now three weeks ago. And I think three weeks gives us a little bit of a sample size of what this whole thing's going to look like with Watson. So among other topics, wanted to bring Pete back in to talk about those things. So Pete, from uh, you guys know, is from SI Browns Digest, does a great job there. And I want to continue to have as much banter with him as possible. Pete, what's up? How are you? I'm good. Uh, you know, the offense is uh, like, I can't like express enough how fun it is to watch them do this in season. It's like one of the most interesting experiments I've ever seen because they want to win games, obviously, but they are clearly doing this and they are not like holding back at all. Yeah, they're they're so that's what I want to talk about. Like, what have you seen? What has stood out to you? L- let me put it this way: I think that they ripped the bandaid off in the Houston game, and they went RPO heavy, and they were doing some different, like different uh, Watson concepts that were highly fit to what he does, and they've reeled that back. But I'm interested in where you think it's going, what you think it looks like, because they've done some different stuff. They've introduced a few different things. I'm sure we can talk about. But are you sort of surprised three games in what this looks like from Kevin uh, schematically with Deshaun? Let's put it that way. I'm surprised at how aggressive they've been implementing it. I did not think they would go as fast as they have. I didn't think we'd see the pistol this year. And they brought it out pretty quick. It was in the Cincinnati game. And right to it, they ran the option. I mean, like, that is not, you know – a conservative approach to do with this. And you, you, the, the, the stuff like the stuff that people complain about, which I find interesting is like the Jacoby Brissett fourth and one, the play that will live in infamy. And I will defend it to the hilt for a number of reasons. The le- not the least of which is that Deshaun Watson never played under center until he got here. So, and you saw it in the Houston game. He pulled out without the ball. 
like, and yeah. obviously, I think there was a little bit of a snowball effect. It was, ju- it just got to that point where it was just like enough, and they just ran the ball with Jerome Ford on like one the rest of the game. But then to say fourth and one, we want to be under center. You're not going to have Deshaun Watson do that on week two. I, it, clearly, they said he's not ready for this, so they put Jacoby Brissett in. He throws the ball. It's open. They should have made the play. Everybody would have loved it. It was Jacoby Brissett's 30th birthday. It would have been the, you know, the ultimate great story. And then it didn't work. So everybody hates it. So, and then later in the game, they go fourth and one. They put Deshaun Watson on the gun. Follow that up this week. Deshaun Watson under center. They run power with Nick Chubb. Like that is an aggressive path forward. And likewise, Nick Chubb's used to being a single back with an under center quarterback. So he's getting, you're you're seeing it in the snap, the amount of snaps he's playing. He's not getting like more the ball more, but he's on the field more. He, uh, the last two games uh, he had seven, he was on the field, 70% of offensive snaps against the Ravens. He was on the field, 62.5% of the snaps against the Bengals. 62.5% ties the season high for the, for him this entire season which happened in week three. So like I said, they are going after this. Uh, But I mean, like if you're talking about some of the read stuff, like again, aggressive, you know, the one they got away with where uh, they ran, they had like, I think an inside zone fake and then Watson turns around and throws through the defender's hands and it gets completed. You're sitting there going, okay, that was pretty sweet. Don't do it again, but it was pretty awesome to watch. Or uh, against the Bengals where the entire defensive line is reading screen left, offense is left, defense is right, and they all fly out. Watson rolls to his right. He's got a defender in front. The defender has to come up, and he finds Donovan Peoples-Jones for, like, easy money. Uh, So, like, those are all things that make me really excited about what this thing can be. And those are like examples where it has worked, but you can also see where it's obviously not there yet. And it's not going to be there in that way until next season, but you can still see glimpses of what they want to be and what they want to be is really problematic for defenses. Yeah. So 2020 Watson had um, 59 total dropbacks under center. He's already had 29 this year. So you can do the math on, sheer number of games and the adjustment that comes with it. In 2019, he had 64 dropbacks under center, and this does include play action. 2018 is as far back as I'm kind of willing to go looking at this. He had 94, so that was a higher volume. But again, he's not He's not a – he didn't grow up playing under center. He didn't do it a ton at Clemson. He's still getting in the, uh, the rhythm of what it looks like. And what he does best is like – He's not a three, five, seven step under center guy. He can come off play action. He's made some great throws, including his best throw of the evening. As you know, the the uh, like over route return that that, that uh, ended up being a flood concept with a nice little wrinkle to it. I liked that throw to uh, Amari Cooper on the left sideline, right hash left sideline. That's the stuff he can do. Taking advantage of it, you're right. The RPO stuff has been a bit diverse, a little weirder than I thought it would be. Um, but, uh, again, I think they're feeling out like, what do we want to be right? We ran that read flat wheel concept, like seven times in Houston, we ran it once in Cincy and maybe that's not who they want to be. Maybe they're not feeling that right now, right? We want to maybe do some more simplified RPO stuff, which is just a one read 
you know, sit there, throw it, process it from the pocket and, and get rid of it. Maybe reading a second level defender. Those are what they want to be. It's a huge feeling out process. And I don't think you can, you can really draw massive conclusions from three games. You can get a vibe for where they're going with it, but you can't draw massive conclusions. What I will say and who I think it does impact. There's two phases Pete, I think that are really impacted. You could tell me if you think I'm right or wrong. Scramble drill stuff. There are a couple examples of this that we've seen over the course of three weeks where guys just are not totally used to, hey, I can get the rock at any second. I'm a backside route runner. I need to finish my backside route and then pay attention to a scramble. I think the really glaring one was the um, Watson stepped up, rolled right, and I think he had Michael Woods off play action in the flat and, and Woods drifted too far, didn't end up pushing up field. Also, he rolled out in the second he rolled and push forward out of the pocket right and David Njoku was coming uh, on a little drag route and didn't quite have his head turned around to Watson to give it to him because it's literally just like a potential shovel pass I think there's a development curve there that these guys will have to get used to his a propensity to work one side of the field to the other b his ability to to uh, keep plays alive that you can't quit plays that maybe you've grown accustomed to it's three and a half four seconds and the ball hasn't come out it's probably a dead play now you got to keep doing things. You got to look back. You got to roll back if you're deep and take off if you're short and all the above. Cause that's something that that's an underrated aspect of the big time guys we see in the league right now of Josh and, and, and Patrick Mahomes and some of these who are, you know, even Justin Herbert in a sense, if you watch his most recent dart there late in that game against the Titans to Mike, Mike Williams up the right sideline is you have to play through the whistle as a receiver too, right? Just because your opposite side of the field doesn't mean that a scrambling moving um, you know, improvisation from your quarterback, you can't get the football. So that part stands out to me. So I want to know your thoughts on that. And then secondly, it's offensive line. They are adjusting how they do things. They are changing the uh, the tempo by which they run, right? The aggressiveness, staying in the one-yard halo, uh, but also trying to make sure that you are doing a better job of gapping down. And I think the O-line's doing okay, fairly okay, but it is, I think that's where the biggest adjustment happens is, is the is the pursuit of different schemes to fit some of the RPO stuff and some of the gun stuff that they're going to need to be more diverse from the shotgun. And with that comes a different set of schemes. And it's just a different mental approach for your O-line. So just those two thoughts, your your your, your initial reaction to those. Yeah, the uh, scramble drill. I remember a play where Deshaun Watson rolled right and there were two guys in the middle field standing next to each other. Like, it's just... It's a different world. And, you know, you you broke down sort of the basic rules of scramble drill, but like the higher level you get, the more there is sort of a understanding of what works and what doesn't between the quarterback and the receiver. You know, you watch like Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes. They have a good sense of where they can go. Like Travis Kelsey is not just doing the standard, hey, I'm going to fly out to the, the way he's going or yep. work work deep if I'm short or, or, or come short if I'm deep, they've got, you know, they're not afraid to do the exact opposite. Like, you know, one of the plays Mahomes made this past week was rolling right. And Kelsey actually slid out to the left. I mean, that's, and you know, there's only a couple people on the planet who can do that particular throw, but I mean, that's still a, a feeling out process like Amari Cooper, Donovan Peoples Jones, David Njoko. They're going to have to feel these guys out feel uh, Deshaun Watson out, what he likes to do, what that looks like. Uh, that is absolutely a process. So like just the base scramble drill that should frankly should be further along than it is. Cause you know, that's stuff you, you, you've been doing. Um, yeah. But um, I, 
so I'd like to see that obviously improve. And then the other part of that is, um, you know, feeling him out, but like Michael Woods is in a tough spot on that one. He runs like a bench route and his hips are faced to the face to the sideline. And like Deshaun Watson's expecting him to be going up the field and his hips just didn't cooperate. Um, you know, I, I get what Deshaun Watson wants to do. I mean, look, perfect world. Yeah. That's where they get to right now. Just put it on him. I mean, in, in, in this season, just, just get it to him. And you see some of this with like, um, you know, like when Deshaun Watson doesn't like to take sacks, you know, he takes sacks, but he doesn't like to, and he, he's a guy who likes to dump the ball off. And, you know, with some of the guys the Browns have had, they're so accustomed to, well, that means I block, I got to go block. And you see some of these guys getting sort of caught in between. Do I block or do I go like get open a little bit? And what you end up with is like these two foot shuffle passes with no space um, that they've got to sort of figure out. But the other point, the offensive line, look, it's the hardest part because they don't have eyes in the back of their head. And for right now, it's incumbent on everybody else to make them right because they can't not go. And ultimately, they're never going to be able to to do that. Um, There's obviously an experience factor with some of that stuff. But to your to your larger point, like this team didn't run inside zone for for how many years? Yeah, and now they're being like, yeah. and now they're being like, hey, we're going to run a ton of inside zone, and you can see it. Uh, you know, Heldy Froholt is like the ultimate tryhard. He'll just give you whatever he's got, and and he's to his credit, he's getting better. But he's a guard who's the fourth string center guy. But like you can see it with guys like Wyatt Teller. You can see it with guys like Jack Conklin who are having a difficult time sort of figuring out how this works in terms of adjusting to moving targets and, and, and what that feel-out process is. Um, I think that has, was better against the Ravens, but it, it, it's, it's an operation. It, it's, it's, it's a process. It's got to get better. And, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm confident it will. I mean, you know, the most – criticized player on this team i thought actually did pretty well in this this past week was was wills and he look he's there's a lot there there's a lot with wills but he did do some good things this past week in terms of just understanding a sense of where he needs to be and what what that really looks like in terms of sealing off and 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 the other stuff the other thing i've noticed in, in sort of touching on this is the Browns have already sort of run into what teams are going to try to do to their run the read stuff, which is, and we've seen this in a couple of games, but particularly the Ravens tried to do this was basically overloading the weak side. Yep. Um, yep. And that's something that the Browns are going to have to adjust to if that's more throws out of that. But they're basically saying we're going to run right up the field and it, Deshaun Watson's going to have to give because that's a read he's going to get, and that's going to give them the freedom to then chase backside. And you've seen them snuff out a few plays like that. So that's sort of helpful in the sense of you're already getting a preview of what you're going to have to do, figure out against teams. Yeah, I, I certainly think that backside overload and some of those nickel pressures are the way teams are going to combat them. And I, and I thought, Pete, and this is what I've said, is – you know, I think that they need to study around the league. I think every yard for the Browns right now is a bit daunting. It's a bit grueling. Everything they gain is earned. Like, there's nothing cheap going on. Very few plays. There's some here and there, but it's it's earned. And 
What I would like them to do is kind of branch out through their staff. There's going to be turnover in some varieties, but I would be looking around the league and you can do this internally, but I would prefer to maybe have a challenging perspective. You're entering year four with Kevin, at least I hope uh, you're entering year four with him in this offensive staff. And really it, it's been the same. They have not had very much turnover at all. I think a difference in perspectives from some of the places that have a, a quarterback who's you know, a special talented player who can provide them with some glimpses of things that you can do, adds some you know wrinkles you can put in that allow for some cheap yards to pop up here and there because they do have a guy who can make some things happen, right? And you don't want to become overly predictable. You know, an example I kind of keep going back to is as I've watched three games is the pressures teams are continuing to bring out of the slot and providing quick answers for first identifying slot pressures, but then giving them ways to get out of those uh, sort of predicament. So that's something I would prefer. Uh, and I don't know, that could be like an offensive assistant in terms of like uh, any role. It doesn't have to be somebody who's coaching a position per se, but I think the the off season for me, I guess where I'm at with that statement is I'm less worried about implementing things for Watson. It's clear that they're going to do that. What I would like them to do in the off season though, is implement things. Maybe Watson has never done ways to get cheap yards, ways to make defenses play certain route concepts and things that they have never put in before as a means to, uh, as a means to help them create some, some unique looks, because I don't know if you get the same vibe I do, but I do get the vibe that defenses have a really good feel for what they're running to certain formations, certain down and distances. And that does make things tricky, right? They don't run many rub routes. They don't run pick plays. They get pressed up and they have some, they have a lack of answers there at times. And I just feel like they could use a perspective on, Hey, what's working around the league with quarterbacks who can a get rid of it quickly B present scarier options with their legs. And how can we take advantage of that? Cause that to me is the next step. Then taking what they know they can add for Watson, what Kevin likes, and then piggybacking some things that they can steal from the rest of the league from any level that they think they can get some cheap yards on because I do think they could benefit from getting into more second and fours. As we know, they continue to struggle anything third and six and above, one of the worst teams in the league uh, since we, you know, since Watson's arrival, which is not surprising given he's working his way back. But it's clear that they need to stay out of those longer down and distances. So they need to find ways to pick up cheaper yards that don't involve predictable runs or sometimes route concepts that teams are sniffing out. Yeah, um, it seems like the, the the beaters they have are on the script. They're not in the flow of the game. So, like, the first play of the game against the Ravens, they uh, they go with that orbit motion and they get the ball to Demetric Felton or Demetric Jones, as Rich Eisen referred to him. Um, it was wide open and free. You saw this with Anthony Schwartz um, when Jacoby Brissett was still uh, quarterback. Uh, for 17 yards in a drive like mm-hmm. you and that that one was not during that was not in the script but like it seems like those beaters are in the script as opposed to in the flow of the game uh, but to your point I agree and I think what probably happened um, last offseason is I assume once uh, the Browns made the acquisition of Watson uh, official and all that. I, I assume Kevin Stefanski immediately started going around to different people and talking uh, to some of these other coaches, whether it was at the pro level, whether it was college, um, and and doing that sort of thing. And I and I expect that the second you know they're they're done with you know breaking down the season, he's going to do the same thing. Um, to your point, would it be valuable to have 
an analyst or an intern or whatever, you know, whatever title you want to come up with um, to, to help with some of that stuff. Absolutely. Um, and, and, you know, they, they've been pretty, I think, willing to, to do that type of stuff. So I, I would, that's something that feels like would certainly not be out of bounds for them. I think that would be something they're, they're inclined to do. Um, as for, are they going to ask Deshaun Watson to do things he's not necessarily wanting to do? Yes. Um, and, and I think that starts with under center. I mean, clearly that is something that I don't, if you were just saying Watson drop an offense, I doubt he's under center much, but he can sort of appreciate what that can do for him and sort of the different looks he makes. Having said that, when you are trying to just get him up to speed, you're probably going to stick. And, and, you know, they've openly said this with both Brissett and um, Watson is that if they don't like it, it's out of the game plan. And I imagine that they, he, you know, the picky enough to be like, I'm not here yet on, on some of these things. And that's going to be off season or, or maybe, maybe we see some of that later in, you know, when they get to like the Pittsburgh game or whatever, but I think that's becomes an off season focus. And I do think that's important because the offense the Browns want to run is going to be different than the one the Texans ran, even though, you know, it, it, it's still going to be based around Watson. It's still going to be more pass focused than, than, you know, than, than maybe the Texans were, ever were, but that becomes a part of it. And I think Kevin Stefanski is a guy that is able to sort of sell a vision, which I mean, ultimately, look, there's no question that money is the primary driver of why Watson is here, but ultimately he was going to get money wherever he went. At some point he had to go, I like what this guy's offering and I want to play in this offense and see what it can do for me and all that. So yeah, I think you're going to see more of that stuff. And, and you know, the biggest difference between what Houston was doing and what the Browns do is the Browns are a power offense and power, meaning not just your running back and your, your, your line, your receivers are almost exclusively over 200 pounds. They're all big. They've got big tight ends. They've got a lot of strength on the field. They want to overpower you. They want to beat you up. Um, so with that comes some different opportunities for Watson to, to be a playmaker and be more of a distributor at times than maybe he was at Houston where it was all on him. Yeah, there's, there's going to be... Uh, certainly some additions what those additions look like or what the the change in structure is I'm kind of staggered now looking at um he's got like 1600 i believe it was 1600 uh gun gun drawbacks in his nfl career yeah, it's and just insane at, it's it's a, it's a much wider discrepancy than i thought it was 284 um in his nfl career not uh not in the gun and uh let me make sure i get that number right before we split yeah 1917 dropbacks from the gun. So I guess that does beg the question personnel wise, if, if they want to go heavier gun, which is entirely plausible as we've seen, seen them shift a little bit to 11 personnel. I'm, I'm, I do think they could use some diversity in one wide receiver position. You know, I think they're trying to do that between Schwartz and the, in the, in the claim of, you know, Darden and, and what they're trying to get as a, a different type of player for that position. Maybe, you know, people talk about Will Fuller a lot, but there's more than just Will Fuller as a type that he's succeeded yes. with. There's the Brandon Cooks type of player. I do think that they have two guys that are very viable. Amari will be around at least one more season. 
I think you obviously like what you've seen from Donovan continues to grow in that post position X vertical tree catch. Most things can do a variety of different things at the catch point. But I do think there is a spot there for somebody. I know David Bell occupies that primary slot receiver role, but I do think they could use somebody vertically gifted, a twitched up version of that, that type of player. I don't know who's out there for that role. I also start to think about the shotgun stuff and running back. And, you know, uh, is that player on the roster or do they need to find somebody like a McKisson uh, type of player out there? I just don't think Kareem is really built for that role. Uh, he's not. Still, he's still, yeah, he's still more of a downhill running type uh, well, of, of running back, and and uh, you know, and, and he's just not as as gifted doing a variety of things in the passing game the way you would like. But yeah, those are two things. Like a, I can think of like a Deuce Vaughn from Kansas State or somebody of that ilk who can who can be comfortable playing, getting out of the backfield, finding space, creating you know some of those things that are a bit unique to lining up beside the quarterback as opposed to behind him. You know what I mean? No, I think the Browns need a dive back. Period. If they're going to run pistol, if they're going to run those type of looks, they need a dive back. And and two years ago, that could be Kareem Hunt. It, he, he he's just there's two problems that Kareem Hunt has. One, he he needs a seeing eye fullback. He always has. It's his best season ever. He had one um, with the Chiefs. And then two, he's just slower than he was. Uh, it, it just in the last couple of years, he's he. It is very difficult. It's like if you're going back to when he was initially signed and you go, oh, we're going to have him be that dive player. You'd be like, OK, great. Like, but now they need somebody who can, one, be explosive downhill and to make a very quick diagnosis of where to cut. Um, and that's tough for him. And, you know, so like you look at Kareem Hunt, you go, well, he, he's not really fit to play the sidecar unless you are doing something that's not based around that type of idea. In other words, he could be a lead blocker. He could be a receiver. He could be a you know pass protector, whatever. He could do those type of things. But if you're going to try to create that true multifaceted look where you've got a dive, you've got a quarterback potentially moving outside, you've got you know potentially a, a, a guy coming out of the backfield either to, to sell option or to be a, a – a, like a bubble or something and then passing routes, they need somebody who can hit that hole harder and, and, and quicker and like, you know, basically be at the second level in an instant. Um, and it's interesting to me that they drafted Jerome Ford. And, and I think he's, he, you know, they, they, they had to have this in mind. They drafted him after Deshaun Watson was acquired. So they had to be thinking how he would fit in that sort of role. But, you know, you, 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 it doesn't look like Kareem Hunt's going to be back unless it, it's like the bare-ass minimum. Um, yeah, yeah. And this draft class looks very, very deep at running back. It looks really impressive. And, you know, they, they, they've got to sort of have a couple thought processes in their head, which is not only, hey, we can use another running back. It's sort of a free shot. We've got a ton of picks in an area where it's a really nice spot to grab a running back. And you're sort of also sitting there going, well, you know, Nick Chubb's great. We love him. Obviously, we're, we are running him a million snaps for the sake of getting him ready to go next year. But we want to keep our options open and we want to have somebody that can potentially be that guy. And it doesn't mean they're going to 
draft one with like that second round pick or anything, but it's just sort of something in the back of their head, which makes me think it's more likely that they're going to grab another running back. And, and, you know, with a guy like Darren Johnson, it'd be interesting to sort of see if he can do it. Jerome Ford, uh, you know, I assume these things are going on in practice um, that give you some of those options, but yeah, running back is changed with Deshaun Watson compared to anyone else they've had. And then, you know, you add into that the motion element where you can go, you know, from a two back backfield and motion out and to very easily motion out into, you know, four receivers or vice versa. You -hmm. can go from a heavy receiver look and then motion the backfield. And they have done that with hunt. It's another way to put stress on the defense, but that guy has to be able to pay it off. And, you know, the Browns are at least sending the look so much of this is about is less about hunt and more about Chubb, but it, they're clearly sending a message because conversely, you know, Chubb, Chubb's getting all these reps. Well, Nick Kareem hunt had the lowest percentage of snaps he's gotten all season against the Ravens. And that's a player who traditionally has been very good against the Ravens. He was fine at five, five touches for 27 yards or whatever. But like, you know, you go back to 2021, and when when they, they you know he hurt his ankle and it was like they went that two back look and we're like oh we're moving the ball a little bit and then 2020 where he, he was the guy who opened up that shootout um that 47 to 42 game where he like he beat Marlon Humphrey on a touchdown pass he allowed all those receivers to get open so it's 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 a major opportunity for the Browns to sort of get another weapon in that and like you talked about you know Anthony Schwartz is in that, you know, in the, that sort of mindset, because you can make him a running back without making him a running back. In addition to the fact he could be a receiver and they've got Demetric Felton, they've got Jalen Darden, they brought in Mark, uh, Marquez Stevenson, who's a burner out of Houston. Clearly this is something they want. It, 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 it I like David Bell. I, it, I, I, I do come back to the fact I'm sort of confused as to why they got David Bell in some yeah. respects, but that, you know, Kevin Stefanski is in love with David Bell and, and he's a good player. I, I like what he's doing, but it does sort of just beg the question of why, why did we do this? It's a fair question. It's a little bit of the, I mean, it's a little bit of the question I have with, with some of the foresight of where this thing would go. And again, you're drafting, you don't really, you don't really know where it's all going. That's the problem, right? You, you you get Watson quickly and you have some moving parts that you're uncertain of before you really draft. And this, these next few drafts will be particularly interesting, but I'm drawn to a couple things. One being that slot role that David Bell is playing. And then two, like it's pretty clear Watson, although you can do some things under center with him. And I like that there is an evolution to the best version of him. And, you know, you're chasing, you got Nick and Nick is great. He's, he's, a, he's, he's, downright ridiculous at times it goes through stretches where he's you know he's untackable but at the, but at the same time you're now done building an offense around the quarterback to prop him up you're now building an offense that the quarterback needs to prop everybody else up and you need to put that quarterback in a comfortable position all the time and, and just by virtue of of what that looks like you need Deshaun to be playing with the, with the people around him that are most comfortable doing things that he's comfortable doing so I do pay particular attention to what they'll do with Nick in the future. Not that they're moving Nick. I'm not talking about that. He's going to be here. He's getting paid how they implement him effectively all the time will be a particularly uh, particular interest in the evolution of that role into what we're talking about right here, who the perfect sidekick is to split touches with him 
and it is clear that the the, the snap discrepancy has moved further away from uh, Kareem as this thing is worn on. You can see where this one's going. So wanted to draw attention to that, and I think that we've uh, we've hashed that out pretty well. Real quick, we're going to take a break, and then we'll be back. We're going to talk about uh, some quick stuff with the defense. Hey guys, telling you again about the. Fantastic offer coming up from FanDuel, America's number one sports book, which is coming to the Buckeye State at the turn of the year. They're already available. If you go in, sign up, you get $100 in free bets with an early sign-up bonus. Now, again, reminder, you cannot get this offer if you wait around and do it after the turn of the new year when, when it's a go-live date for sports betting in Ohio. You have to do it early. You get an early sign-up bonus by using the promo code OBR. Very simple. Just OBR. Get that sign-up bonus. Right, get $100 in free bets. Just have to download the FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app, safe, secure, super easy to use. I already do it for some of the shows that I do on Sundays just to look at lines and give advice. Download that app. Ohio, it's your chance to get in on the action. Join today. Again, promo code OBR. Make every moment more with FanDuel, the official sportsbook partner of the NFL. Again, the disclaimer, 21 and older. you got to be present in Ohio. Bonuses issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio, 1-1 of 2023. Unique user identity verification is required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. So we have the last supporter of Joe Woods. On the, I'm just kidding. We Listen. <laughs> We have to talk about Joe. I, I think that you, I, I think I, I lean this way too. We give coaches a lot of wiggle room because there's some, some, some things that the public doesn't know. They just won't know. And there are some things that, um, you know, passion overcomes logic. And 
I, I, it takes me a while to get to the point where I feel like replacing a coach, unless it is brutally obvious. And now we're into deep into year three with Joe Woods. And I think you and I can agree that Joe is not God's gift to schematic evolution. I think he's trying, and I think you made a good point of this today where he's trying to build something he's familiar with. So I want you to fill people in who probably didn't see that Twitter conversation first on what you and what you envision Joe Woods best form of this defense looking like. And I think you hit some of it with what he's trying to do with the Denver group. Yeah. Look, uh, I like Joe Woods. Uh, I like, like, I like the guy, his press conferences are really interesting because he's very honest and open about everything. Like, and he takes criticism. People don't think he does, but he's like, yeah, I, you know, I I probably could have done better with that. Or he listens to players and all that. So I sort of, I root for him in that respect, but yes, um, there is this very reductionist view of coaching that just drives me insane because like Bill, Cal- no one has mentioned Bill Callahan when the offensive line has sucked. Not a single word. I found that so weird. And, and I, and, and look, I, and I'm not suggesting you should because Bill Callahan's one of the best on the planet, but like every other offensive line coach, people would be firing for, you know, however many weeks it, it, it has not been very good. And, you know, you, you could, I could be like, Hey, they've got three all pros and a top 10 pick. Why isn't this working? It, you know, that doesn't make sense. I, I, I just, it, it drives me nuts. So with Joe Woods, I think a lot of what he gets blamed for is on what he's been given. And I think people need to understand that like, this is the third year in a row where they basically said to Joe Woods, listen, I, I know we, we really got to get to the defense. We really do. And we're going to, but we've got to take care of this other thing. And, and, and I, I'm not going to argue with what they did. They, they went the organizational route of get the quarterback and they did it. They made a tough decision. They said, Baker Mayfield's not the dude. Let's go get another guy. They get the opportunity. They bring in Deshaun Watson and it costs them six picks and $230 million guaranteed. I get it. I'm hundred percent on board. They trade for Amari Cooper and you're like, yeah, these are great moves. And the expense of that was you lost a bunch of vets, uh, a bunch, but you lost veterans on this defense and you got even younger, dumber in many ways. You're, you're, you're playing with a bunch of like effectively freshmen and sophomore on this defense. And then you're going, well, why are they so simple? Well, because they don't know anything and you can't just like go, Hey, we're going to do all this stuff because they tried some of that early in the season. People freaked out because the guys who didn't know anything would get beat and you're sitting there going, well, you know, the coach is stupid for, for doing this. And then, you know, it's, it's a whole thing or, you know, people criticizing Joe Woods for not playing man to man when they get beat, you know, beat and the whole game was man to man, uh, that like that type of stuff. But anyway, what I think Joe Woods is trying to do or what I think, he has sort of fallen into is when the Browns took Martin Emerson and everybody sort of went, you know, they trade Troy Hill and all of us were like, Hmm, wait, that's interesting. They don't really have a slot guy. Um, and you're sitting there going, oh, maybe Martin Emerson can do it. Maybe he's big enough and just, he can just get hands on and just try to beat the crap out of the guy off the line of scrimmage and hope it works. Well, instead they found out Martin Emerson's really good and he's been really impressive on the outside. And all of a sudden you're not going to move Denzel Ward. So now you've got two of these guys who are effective on the outside and you go, well, we've got Greg Newsom and it's a supremely talented body and athlete 
because he's not only fast, he's not only tall, but he's got really fluid hips. And you're going, he could do everything. So let's have him do everything. Let's have him play on the outside at times. Let's have him play on the slot. So if you go back to 2016, when the Broncos won the Super Bowl, you see a trio of corners that were the best in the league that year. You have Bradley Roby, who is eerily similar to Denzel Ward. You have Akib Tlaib, who is eerily similar to Martin Emerson. And you have Chris Harris Jr., who is an all-pro that year in the slot, which is like the right tack- a right tackle going first-team first, first all-pro. It just doesn't happen unless you are so spectacular that everybody has to choose you. And they had this unbelievable set of corners that just shut people down. And the, the benefit was that the Broncos were good enough to put teams behind and just be able to play the pass the whole way. So that is what sort of was the engine of the Super Bowl. And I think that is what Joe Woods sees when he's got um, these three corners. And I'd add into that, I think Grant Delpit is his TJ Ward. Um, now, I, you know, whatever you want to say about Joe Woods, there are tons of valid criticisms. I, I, I try to deal with the nonsense, but whether it's some of the things he does, the, the, the play calling ruts he gets into, which are obvious, like in having predictable fronts, I think that has gotten better recently, but maybe not better enough. Um, those are all really, really valid and, Ultimately, what you get into is a situation where, you know, the Browns are going to finish these last three three games, and, and barring a miracle, they're not going to make the playoffs. Kevin Stefanski is going to have fifty two games of Joe Woods to sort of evaluate, and like this is part of what like prompted me to write this stuff today. Is I caught the radio on a very short drive today, and people are freaking out. The Browns are could potentially win these three games, and Joe Woods is going to save his job. If that was, you know, again, 52 games, the Browns are cold and calculated in a way that people don't seem to appreciate. Kevin Stefan, I, I don't think Kevin Stefanski is going to be moved by three games again. He knows who they're playing. He knows it's the Saints. He knows it's going to be 30 mile per hour wins and nine degrees. Uh, he knows it's going to be Ty- Taylor Heineke or, or, Carson Wentz. He knows it's going to be Kenny Pickett. It's not like Kevin Stefanski is going to be sitting there going, oh, this look pretty good. I I mean, these offenses, he just shut them down. He must be really good at this. I have to think that Kevin Stefanski, the guy who was willing to just bail on Baker Mayfield in the most unceremonious manner possible, despite leading an 11-win team to the playoffs in the first win in 25 years, where he could have easily said, no, his shoulder was messed up. We could we, we can bring him back. He said, no, I want to win, and I think this is the best path forward. They got rid of him. I think he's going to have that same mindset with Joe Woods, and, and it's not the same. It's, it's, a, it's a coach. It's not a player. Co- head coaches don't want to fire coaches. Um, you don't want to have that conversation. I'm sure they're friends and all that, but I also think Kevin Stefanski is very competitive. Otherwise, he wouldn't have gone through the amount of crap he's had to in order to get this quarterback he wants. He he put himself into this knee deep in all of it and and is like, yeah, we're doing this. I don't think he's going to have any problem if he if, you know, either Kevin Stefanski believes in Joe Woods by now or he doesn't. I you know, three games are not going to change it. What I would say from my perspective is 
I really liked some of the things Joe Woods was doing in terms of like, like I really like the idea of having Greg Newsom in, in the slot. I, I think that's awesome in terms of what it gives you tactically to uh, enables you to do against teams. Because even though Greg Newsom's in the slot, he played a whole lot on the outside this past week because that was the matchup that worked for them. It was just, that was prudent and they were effective. And you can say, well, the Ravens should have run counter, you know, 700 times and you'd be right. But nevertheless, like for what was there, it worked. So I like that setup. I, I like a lot of his sort of theory of the case in terms of like how you have to deal with mobile quarterbacks. I, I like um, the way he sort of wants to funnel things back inside a lot. Now I wish the inside was better. Um, you know, he's been sort of, again, handicapped in that regard, but like, I, and I hope the next defensive coordinator can take a lot of what he's doing and just sort of improve on it. But again, here again, I don't think Kevin Stefanski is going to be like fooled into going, well, those three games are fantastic, Joe. Let's, let's, let's do this again. If he doesn't believe in him, like he either does or he doesn't at this point. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest thing that I've been saying. And I'm sure you echo the same thing is I just want Kevin to make that decision. Like Absolutely. if you don't, if you don't, and this is something dating back to me for Hugh Jackson. Like I, I didn't like Hugh Jackson by the time he stuck around for that extra year. I think we we're all pretty much in the same spot, despite a craving for some sort of continuity uh, that we still are obviously craving, but they made him work with, you know, they made him work with Todd, Todd Haley. And I didn't like that because at the end of the day, you either trust the guy to make the hire or do what he's best at, or you don't. And with Kevin, I don't want some sort of arranged marriage or forced hand. Like, that is the worst possible thing for work environment and everything that surrounds it. So that's a pretty big fear. But if they keep Joe, so like, I think that this is something we should be entertaining or talking about is, you know, this idea that if they keep Joe Woods, it's going to send people off the edge. Right. And I'm one of them. I think they should, I think they should move Joe, move on from Joe. And I I've got problems if they don't do it, but as somebody who, and again, I'm not saying you're arguing for it, but you can see a path to why if they do keep him, why do you think people should trust that decision? Is there an argument for that? Because I think what people have seen for two years now is a defense that has struggled coming out of the gate, a defense that has continued to have communication barriers early in, in the second and third season. And I can get it in the second season as some guys worked in, but this year, certainly the communication barriers that have happened early in the season, you know, we can dig into stuff later in the year, but I don't think that's necessary. I think we've all kind of gone through it recently, but like what is in your mind, if they keep him, what what's the justification for it? You know, because there's there's certainly going to be there will be a large faction of the fan base that will just be pretty blown away by that choice, and I think it will turn some people off. That doesn't mean a fan base decision that's turn turns people off is the wrong one. It could work out just fine. It's just like at this point, do you see a path where they keep him and things work out well for them? Because it is kind of hard to see, in my opinion, uh, how they just. How they? I mean, I guess they could bring in somebody different. Maybe they remove Jeff Howard and bring some different opinions into the <laughs> to the cornerback room. Yeah, poor Jeff Howard. But I mean, you can't <laughs> you can't you can't deny that there have been massive lapses in what's gone on in the secondary in terms of guys understanding roles, fits where they're supposed to be. So uh, although nobody again, it's, it's the it's the ugly side of the business. You know, Jeff Howard's trying to move up the ladder, man. Like he wants his own shot. Obviously, I don't think that interview this week is ever going to be a part of his resume, but you can see where some changes have to happen. Is there a path to Joe being needing to move on from some people surrounding him? Like, I'm just curious where it all goes, because 
it feels like people are locked in myself included. And I like hearing to different opinions on this as if there's a path to keeping Joe that makes sense and can, and can work in another year. Well, uh, the, the defensive backs coach, Jeff Howard is the biggest question I have on staff by far. Um, you know, be, the, the, that, that press conference was embarrassing. It, it's not the end of the world, but it, it was bad. Um, but the play on the field's worse in too many instances. And I think um, some of the things they've done in terms of preparation has just looked unpleasant in, in a way that it seems like, you know, maybe, you know, this is one of those things where I wish I, you know, I wish I could be a fly on the wall. I wish I knew what those conversations were like. Um, where it seems like maybe he's trusting Jeff Howard to do more than he should in terms of like mm-hmm. dictating things, but you never know. Uh, but if you're asking me, like, what does the defense look like that would make somebody go, okay, I can see it. Well, it's it's the middle. You know, you have Miles Garrett, who is going to be the defensive player of the year for Pro, pro Football Focus. He may not be the NFL's, but he's pr- almost a lock at this point to be pr- PFFs, which is something. Um, Jadevian Clowney, this is more a traditional Jadevian Clowney season where you sort of drives you insane because he's either not out there or he's not always sort of as good as he can be. Um, but it still comes down to the fact that they had, they came into this season, and this is why I railed on this for months. They didn't have a proven defensive tackle on the entire roster. And I remember thinking to myself, oh, Taven Bryant, he could be a nice de- designated pass rusher. Mm-hmm. And then they go, yeah, he's starting like, uh, no, this is not going to work. It's going to be bad. And I almost, you know, I almost talked myself into it because they, they work so hard to, try to talk, talk up jo- Jordan Elliott. And you're like, all right. And the preseason game's going, you're like, all right, not bad. Maybe this can work. Uh, but it, it comes down to that. And like, there's this theory that the Browns don't value the interior. That's not true. It's just that when you got Deshaun Watson, all of a sudden you're like, free agents were were sitting there going, I don't know how long he's going to be suspended. Like, why would I go to Cleveland right now? Or you have the Browns are going, we just trade for Deshaun Watson. We don't think we're going to be a contender this year. We don't think this is our year. We don't want to spend more. We sure as hell don't want to spend a surcharge to get guys to come here when we need to save money. And the timing just didn't work. That will be the number one thing this offseason is about. It will be finding a free agent defensive tackle, regardless of who's the defensive coordinator. They're going to get somebody who's going to plug up the middle and be a proven entity. And I suspect it will be more than one somebody. That doesn't mean they're going to get two high-priced free agents. I just think they're going to get two free agents. Uh, whether that is just at the nose or three or whatever, there have been any number of players thrown out there, one of which the Browns play in two weeks. Uh, and if he feels like defecting in the middle of the game, I'm fine with that. Um, but if you do that, if you have just a credible defensive interior, the linebackers are a thousand times better than they are. Uh, and that's been like the thing. I, like, I have very little regard for linebackers in general. They're dumb. Um, and if you're a quarterback or work with quarterbacks, you, you'll tell them, you'll tell the quarterback they're dumb. Um, and you know, they, they largely correlate with very rare exception. There are, there are some truly special linebackers in football. Levante David, truly special. Uh, Bobby Wagner, truly special. Um, there are some truly like guys who will go anywhere and be great. But by and large, 95%, maybe higher, correlate to defensive line play. 
they're as good as their defensive line is. And the guy I would point to immediately, and I would say, look at him when the defensive line played well versus look at him when it didn't, is Joe Schobert. Joe Schobert was a Pro Bowl player when the defensive line was good in front of him, and he was basically a shell of what he could be when he when he didn't have that guy. So if you're saying, how do I how do I buy into this? It's simply a matter of they've got to improve the defensive line interior, which brings credibility, allows those linebackers to not have to take on blocks as often, not have to try to um, get around or, or fight through trash. Because if you watch the Ravens game or any number of games, I, I don't know how many games this season I, I have to watch where, you know, Grant Delpit and John Johnson lead the team in tackles. I mean, it's, it's not, not how it's designed to go. Um, so if you bring in that credibility, it's interesting. Now, the other part where I sort of look at it and go, all right, I, I sort of like what they're doing and I could sort of see it. And there are draft prospects where I sit there and go, yeah, that could fit is the amount of slanting and stunting Joe Woods has been doing this year, which I really like, um, has been a way to sort of hide how miserable his interior is by not asking them play like true defensive tackles and sort of getting them on the move. Like I really liked when, you know, he had, uh, Perry on Winfrey who, has gotten better in recent weeks mm-hmm. in a tilt and just saying, look, you're going to fire off the ball as hard as you can. It's going to be harder for them to get, you know, hands on truly to drive you off the ball because you you can't take on a double team to save your life. Um, so I'm not going to ask you to do it anymore. So those type of things are interesting. So like, those are the things where I sit there and go, all right. I, 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 like I said, I like the theory of Joe Wood's case. I would argue that Joe Woods is not the problem on this defense. I would also argue he's probably not the solution for this defense. What you can say about Joe Woods, and and I, and I think he did a better job than people realize in 2021, given what he had. Um, but I think in 2022, you can sit there and go, yeah, I get it. Your defensive tackles were horrific you had a number of problems on this defense that were out of your control, but you also didn't do enough to make guys better. Yes. Some of that was because you were handcuffed with rookies and second year guys who didn't know what they were doing. Uh, But ultimately you haven't done enough with this. And and the question I have to imagine Kevin Stefanski's thinking in his head with this is I've seen Joe Woods draw it up on the whiteboard. I've seen his adjustments. I've seen him, what the play calling, he gets into i've seen him teach it how much of a challenge would it be for me as an offensive guy to beat this defense and if he's sitting there going no problem then he's answered the question already you know what you have to do it's over if he's sitting there yeah you know there's some things where i sort of get it i i really like what he can do he can really challenge the people that's where you sort of get a question i'm inclined to think it's more along the lines of I can beat this guy. You know, I, I can just, there's too many things where I can outsmart him. Too many things he does that are sort of predictable enough where I can, I, I can pick him apart. Uh, and, and, and likewise, if they do get rid of Joe Woods, I, I would assume that is the framework he's going to be interviewing the next guy in. I hope Joe, if, if they do that, that Kevin Stefanski finds the guy who frustrates the crap out of him and his staff as a defensive coach. And you go, I don't want to deal with this. That's why I'm hiring you because I don't want to have to go against you. And I knew I want you on my team. And if he can do that, then I think they're in really, really good shape. If my fear and it's 
probably irrational because we live in a Twitterverse. Um, it's not real. It's not real life. You have to sort of remind yourself Twitter is not real life. I hope the perception outside of Cleveland is that jo- that Kevin Stefanski is not keeping his job by the skin of his teeth when he's got the fourth best record dating back to 1964 in terms of head coaches. He's the only the only coach since 1960. I should say. He has led this team to the most points points in a season since 1964, and he's got an overall more than fine record. He can easily end up eight nine or nine and eight. And you're sitting and, and to me, I look at this and go, if you fire him, you fired Bill Belichick again. Um, and obviously, again, I know somebody will go, somebody will respond and go, well, the Ravens technically fired him. Yeah, that's fine. I was alive then. Yeah. I know how bad people wanted to fire Belichick, who is now the greatest coach of all time despite yesterday, uh, this, this weekend's uh, catastrophe. So if the perception is that Kevin Stefanski is good, and he should be from the organization, then I think he's going to be in a really good position to get somebody good. If the perception is from these potential defensive coordinators, well, I, I don't want to go. I don't want to move my family for a year. I, I, you know, I don't want to see this thing blow up. I don't want to like gamble. I want to feel good about where I'm going. Then I'm going to be there for a while or that it's going to allow me to, get that next job because that's one of the things the Browns have to sort of deal with is they have to make people leave this organization better, which is why I have argued and will continue to argue midseason firings make you look stupid. They make your organization look stupid. Nobody wants to be the Indianapolis Colts at all. No one, no one wants to be the Colts as a garbage team. And Jim Ursay is a garbage owner. Do not want to be that organization. That is garbage football and they've embarrassed themselves to the point where I'm very curious to see where they go. The Browns have to get to a point where people leave it better than they when their, their career gets better coming here. And you're seeing that in the front office. Andrew Mary has making guys get jobs. That makes your organization look good. You want people even if you have to fire them to come out better for having come to your organization. And people have this stupid idea of what accountability means and it means making embarrassing people that's going to hurt you in the job market. And I pray that is not the case, that that's just you know nonsense that goes on in media and fans that allows them to get a really good coach. Because I, I genuinely believe that Browns have their coach for the next very, the very long foreseeable future. I think that's very, very under-discussed. Is, is I understand that people want – I mean, they just demand. I, they just demand. They're, they want to win. People at the core want to win. And the easiest thing you think that is going to allow your team to win is moving on from a coach like that. That doesn't miss me how fans get there, uh, you know, with an irrational thought process. But is you don't talk enough about the impact of what the coaches around the league who do not think the way you do are inclined to be like, I would prefer now to go to that franchise. People are not going to be lining up to go work for Jim Irsay. That's just not a thing. You know, with with what Reich had to put up with and all he dealt with to be treated the way he was. And then not only that, but to then hire who they hired. Like you really, again, you don't want to you don't want to be that. You don't want to be that. And the Browns have been that at certain times in their uh, not so distant past. And and there should be a push to go away from it. I'm and listen, I'm going to be really interested in what happens with Woods. Uh, I, I do think he will land on his feet. A lot of people talk about how. You know, guys who are coordinators or coaches here get fired and they don't land. Joe Woods will get a job somewhere. He will. In 20 minutes. He will coach somewhere. But In, I in a perfect world, know. in a Go perfect ahead. world, he would coach DBs here. Like, yeah. that would be my dream. He would be the yeah. passing game coordinator. Like, 
He's a real. This is the thing I I, I hate, and you're bringing up a really good point. If Joe Woods is fired, people are not going to be the, the, the organization's not going to be sitting there cheering for it. Yeah, they will be saying this was a good guy and it just didn't work. And there will be players who are disappointed to see him go. There are players in that locker room who really like him and understand like he he cares about what they're doing. That that's that's the other part of this. And, and, and you you know this from from being a player, being a coach. You like that's lost on people is that that stuff is important. Joe Woods is not Hugh Jackson or even close to Hugh Jackson. He's a good dude. He's just, you know, if they make that decision and and, and I'm inclined to think they will, um, that he's not the right guy. That's fine. Just, just move on. Look, compare this to Greg Williams. Greg Williams hired his son and a guy who worked at a high school with him. Speaking of which, that guy who worked at the high school with with uh, his son Blake is currently working on his staff at uh, at Florida International. I think is where he's at right now. But <laughs> like, like that's sort of where this is. Joe Woods is a good, good coach. He got a Super Bowl. He got multiple Super Bowl rings, or at least yeah, he'll, one. He'll land on his feet. Some someone's bringing him in again. Maybe he's just not a coordinator. Maybe that happens too. You know, not just people can't handle the role or they don't get the response from people they expect. Doesn't mean you don't know what you're doing. Doesn't mean you can't be a quality position coach. There's a there's a lot to like about Woods, but it just it just hasn't worked here. So we'll see. Like I said, I, I'm not going to uh, I'm not going to rush to judgment about whatever way they go in terms of I want to hear what they have to say. I I have rushed to judgment with I think they have to 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 move on from Woods. I just think they're at that point, but I need to hear. I hopefully hear some rationale for the why and that and that it it sort of echoes some of the the things that we've talked about here. And I know you've brought up some good points, Pete. Thanks again, man. This is a uh, this is great stuff. I think there's got to be some balance to looking at the rational side to the irrational side and, 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 and giving Joe the time he's had versus what the results have been and kind of giving some perspective on where he goes. So all around good stuff, Pete. We appreciate you stopping by for, for both the Watson discussion and this as well. Always a good time. Okay, guys, that's a wrap for today. We'll be back with Jared Mueller tomorrow. Thanks to Pete for stopping by. Continue to go over to Brown's Digest. And read, uh, listen, they're updating work constantly, doing a great job, staying on top of everything surrounding the team. They cover it extremely well as anybody in the market. So make sure you're going over there and reading their constant, con- constantly updated content. Check out the OBR. We appreciate you stopping by. Chalk Talk tomorrow, well, tonight, for those of you who are listening here on Tuesday, check out that on the OBR Twitch. Thanks for being here. Have a great Tuesday. Go Browns. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.